how many of y'all have ever had like a great, great need and you have had God provide for that great need? Amen. And uh, that's, that's kind of where we're at in the book of Romans today. Uh, where we're going to be, we're going to be in the second half of chapter three and we're going to finish that today. But uh, man, I was, start, I was thinking, I was just asking God, God, what are some things, some temporal things, you know, that, uh, that I've needed in my life that I was desperate for and had no other way. If you didn't provide, it wasn't going to happen. And he just kind of flooded my memory with all the times that I desperately needed something that only he could provide because I didn't have the resources. And through his people, he provided in those ways. And what an encouraging thing that was. And I want you guys, if you ever uh, are ungrateful, you ever been in just a mood where you're ungrateful? You're just like, rah, rah, this stinks, that stinks, that's what... Man, when you're grateful, everything is great. Exactly. When you're grateful, everything's great. So at that, it might be a cool thing for you at that time to just go through and ask God, show me your goodness, show me all what you have provided for me, all that I have in you, both spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, in all the ways that you have. And, and go back and you can just be grateful because I know that's what he did for me. In the temporal sense, it was interesting that most of the things that he has provided for me, or the things that he kept bringing up of what he provided for me, was a vehicle. <laughs> it's like as a pastor, as a seminary student, whenever I gave my life to Christ and, and, and gave up my accounting degree to go to, to follow stuff, it seems like whenever I need a vehicle, I need a vehicle and there's nothing I can do to get myself a vehicle, including the one I have right now that, that God provided for me in such a gracious way. But he took me all the way back to when Linda and I were dating. Where'd my wife go? She here? Oh, back there. Okay, you were right there. Uh, but anyways, you didn't want to stay up front so I could like talk to you and stuff. And all right, she's kind of shy. But anyways, while we were dating, this was like back in 1988, 89. We got married in June 17th, 1989. But uh, man, in all that process, uh, we were trying to do a wedding, man. Weddings aren't, aren't cheap, are they? Emily? Skylar? Yeah, I mean, it's like, dude... It's like, it's like, man, if we could just spend this money on, you know, and again, ours wasn't elaborate. In fact, I'm going to tell you how cheesy we were. Dude, we had an hour and a half wedding with 13 live songs because that's what my wife wanted. And we put it all into the wedding, had the gospel. My pastor preached. It was pretty cool, the whole thing. And then we get to the reception and my family and different people who were all like, they, they or went through the ordeal of the marriage. They came to the reception and we had a punch bowl and we had mints. <laughs> we had mints. My, I remember hearing my sister, y'all ain't got no food. I said, no, this wasn't to feed you. It was like, we got mints. It was like, there's restaurants all around. We're leaving. We're going on our honeymoon. And because the most important thing to us at that what was that marriage that, that in there and, and again, I'm not saying that's the receptions are wrong or anything, but, but dude, we saved everything we could to do what we needed to do in this. Um, in, in fact, Linda had actually been saving when I actually asked her to marry me on Valentine's Day of 19, was it 88? Uh, it had to be, or 89? Yeah, on that Valentine's Day. And she said yes, and uh, before we went to Frisch's Big Boy, because that was the only thing that was open that late at night. But anyways, uh, she pulled a book out and said, oh, here's what you're going to do. Here's what you... She had been planning this whole wedding. She had been saving, but we still, we needed to save more. We... And so, man, I was working in a wood shop. Uh, I was building custom woodwork in Orlando, furniture, architectural millwork, all kinds of crazy things. And um, I was kind of a foreman and all of that. And uh, 
So as we're doing that and going to seminary uh, from 8 to 10, at least two, three nights a week, and then studying and doing all of that. So it was pretty crazy uh, of when we got to meet and when we didn't. And so we took on some extra stuff. I remember we started working. I started taking on a Saturday shift at the wood shop just so I could make some extra money. And money was tight. I was driving a 19, dude, it had to be a 71, I think, a seven, 1971 but, uh, Beetle, Volkswagen Beetle. Y'all remember those? And uh, in fact, the reason I knew she was the one, because how many of y'all ever had a Beetle? Anybody had a Beetle bug? And, and did you have a hole in the floor at some point? Because they made them, Hitler made them when he designed them. They were supposed to go across sand, water, everything. Man, they floated. But the only problem is if water got in, Water didn't get out till it rusted out. <laughs> and so mine had a hole in the floorboard. And I, when I was kind of, that's what I had when I got saved and when I was dating and had a hole in the floorboard and I had a piece of plywood over there. And, and I would tell the girl, this is how I knew she was the one. Because I'd, I'd be driving, I'd say, oh, hey, I knew we'd get ready to hit a mud puddle. And a mud puddle was going to blow up through it and, and it was going to get the person in the passenger seat wet if they did not put their feet down. So the nine out of ten girls, I'm going, hey, put the put put your foot down, and then psh, why? They would go, why? And right at the end of why, they would get blasted with a mud puddle. I didn't have a lot of second dates on that, but <laughs> man, I watch her. I, I said, hey, put your foot down on there, and she said, why? And I said, you're the one. That was one of one of the qualifications, man. It was like, and she didn't get wet, you know, and all that. But that beetle, man, it got us around. Didn't cost much. Air conditioning. Remember on them Beatles, that side window? You didn't need air conditioning. You just pull it in, and it's just like, woo! They designed, it was really designed well. In fact, the engine was four different cylinders. So if you blew a cylinder, you didn't have to get a whole new engine. You just replaced the cylinder and stuff. I'm not a mechanic, but I had more, more, I didn't have enough money to fix it, so I did a lot of work on it. But one day, I'm driving down I-4 in Orlando all the way from downtown to the west side of town, or the east side, north side, of town, all the way down to Altamont area, and I'm driving, and uh, I'm going to work, trying to make some extra money for the wedding, and one going to make a lot, but I was going to make some, and every little bit counts, so we're down there, and, uh, and finally I get off about noon, one o'clock, two o'clock, and I'm driving back across to Orlando, and all of a sudden on I-4, not as crowded as it is now, but my bug breaks down. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And I pull off the side of the road, and, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm down by College Park, and I climb down the, down the embankment there to try to make a phone call. We didn't have cell phones back then. Y'all remember the days without cell phones? Dude, we actually went places without communication, and we survived. But I climb down, and, 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 and I, my boy bugs up there, and I knock on somebody's lady's door. She wouldn't open. She's looking through the windows, and I had to make a phone call to somebody, and she wouldn't open. So finally, I kept hitting neighbors up, and one, one opened the door, and I called the bug shop. And they, were, they said, yeah, just tow it in, and they sent a tow truck, and they got it. Next call I made was to Linda, and she said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I got it towed. She said, we can't afford that. And it was like, well, it's towed there. And, and she's like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. He's going to have to tell me. I, I think I blew a motor, at least two cylinders, half a motor, and it don't run off half a motor. And, and so it's towed in, and we're waiting for, you know, I get a call later, and they're like, yeah, you know, uh, you're going you're, you're gonna to actually need a whole new engine on this thing. And I'm like, what? And I don't even remember how much it was. You remember how much it was, honey? 
Now, it was something like, I don't know, back then it was ridiculous. It was cheaper. It was like 1700 bucks or something like that. Let's just say 1700 it was, That's just the number coming to mind. But anyways, they're going to put a whole new engine in it. Well, we didn't have 1700 bucks, And I told him, go ahead and put the engine in. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, God, I, I, I don't know what else to do. And we didn't have credit cards. I mean, that wasn't like how you lived and all that. It was just like, all right, God, I don't know what I'm going to do in this. But I had to get it towed on a Saturday, and we went through our whole, everything we did on Sunday. We were everything. We did a lot of things in the church. And um, anyways, uh, I, I didn't have 1700 bucks, and I, and I didn't have a vehicle. And, and, and so I'm at church, and I'm riding on the bus. I used to do a bus route. Y'all remember what bus routes were? Anybody know? So we would go into the hood. Well, we lived in the hood, but we would go further into the hood, and we would go pick up kids who didn't have parents that would go to church. So on the bus, we would, we would have bus loads, big cheese wagon buses full of kids. And I, I was part of that, picking the kids up because they could identify with me because I was one of those kids. Only when I got to church on the bus, I would get the popsicle they offered, and then I'd run home. But these kids, I got them, I got them they'd come to church, and we're there, and... Uh, while we're on the bus, there was a guy named Mr. Edwards, Lewis Edwards, and I think he's still alive, Facebook friend, but he's the one who actually shared the gospel with me the night that I accepted. It was the Romans Road, and he actually came over and shared with me the Romans Road, um, but I got on a bus route with him, and we would pick these kids up. So as we're talking, Mr. Edwards is like, I'm sitting there thinking in my head, man, I got this issue, man, I got no truck, I got no car i got no no money to get it fixed i don't have and mr edward's like hey guess what me and my wife did yesterday and i'm like what we bought a brand new car and i'm like yeah great for you pal <laughs> like literally that was exactly in me like we bought a brand new car oh it's a little toyota and it's maroon and it's a, a camry they're old right but old people but anyways i'm just saying <laughs> y'all get that <laughs> Y'all get that old people drive Camrys? No, I'm just saying. You're like, wait, I have a Camry and I'm not old. Yes, you are. But <laughs> no. But but anyways, he's like, yeah, he's describing this car. But as he's describing the car to me, I'm like, oh, I'm just like, that's awesome for you. And I don't have one. <laughs> and I'm like, inside, I'm burning up. And he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, Dude, I said, I had just the opposite experience. My Volkswagen broke down, got it towed to the shop. I need 1700 bucks to fix it. And I, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing right now. I had to get a ride to church today and you got a new car. I'm happy for you, but I got to figure out this. Pray for me. He said, oh, I got the answer for you. He said, I have a 1966 Ford Econoline van. He said, oh, man, and, and, and it's an extra vehicle at the house. I got to get rid of it. I gave our good used one away already, but you can have this one. <laughs> That's in essence what he said. And I'm like, oh, all right, cool. I go and tell, I said, Linda, guess what? Guess what? Mr. Edwards gave us a 1966 Ford Econoline van. And she said, I know that van. It has no brakes. I know that van. It's messed up. We used to, because she was in a band, you know, with some other young people, and they would haul all the sound equipment. It was kind of like a Scooby-Doo van, you know. They had hauled stuff around, but it was not reliable. She said, you know what that was? We, they used to use those in the Everglades. Southern Bell used them in the Everglades to fix all the phone lines and stuff in the Everglades. And when they got too run down for Everglades use, they then sold them to people, and Mr. Edwards bought one. Mr. Edwards then burned it out for another 10 years and gave it to me. I was like, 
Thank you, Jesus, for the blessing, the way you... And again, seriously, it ran. Breaks? I can work on that. Well, something can happen. I will have to figure out how to drive it across town tomorrow to work without breaks. But <laughs> just a couple days. But man, it was like... And I started seeing it from God's perspective. I'm like, all right, cool. I think this would be cool to have a van, have everything. He said he's going to bring the keys for the Sunday night service. So he brought the keys, and I drove it home that night, and it needed more than brakes. It was rough. But I was still, God, I'm grateful for this. I don't know how it's going to get fixed. I don't know what's going to happen. What am I going to do about my, my Volkswagen back here that I love? What am I going to do on all of this? And God just said, follow. Follow me. Have I not provided everything you needed? And I've only been saved a couple of years at this point. And I'm in seminary. He said, have I not provided? And I'm like, yes, you've always provided. And so in that, I'm like, all right, I don't know what to do. Next day, I drive early in the morning down I-4. I go to work. And I'm, I'm on the interstate with no brakes. Uh, I'm down in traffic with hardly any brakes. They worked if you pumped them, you know. And it pumped them hard. And then you felt some pedal. Then you took advantage of that. Anybody ever been that in that situation with brakes? You have not... I know my wife. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, dude. And it was a stick shift. You'd be downshifting as a brake, too. But some of y'all know about that. Any of y'all know about turning the key and putting the clutch and having people push you down a hill and popping the clutch? Yeah, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, and I can tell. <laughs> y'all been spoiled your whole life. But anyways, man, so I drove this thing, and I barely, I was so grateful when I got in the parking lot at work that morning. Seven o'clock, five minutes to seven, I pull in. I'm like, oh, I didn't get in a wreck because of everything I had been through. I-4. How many of y'all driven I-4? You know what I'm talking about? I-4 and then 1792, 434, all of this traffic everywhere. And I made it. And I was like, yes. And I was like, now, what am I going to do? Because I get in my wood shop and I'm at my desk and they said, hey, you got a call. And I went and it was the guy from the Volkswagen shop. He said, hey, man, uh, what are we going to do? 1700 bucks, whatever it was. He's like, what are we going to do? And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know. And I'm like, fix it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm praying. I'm thinking, there's no way. God, I don't know what. And God just put in my heart to tell him to fix it. And God did put that in my heart. I had no idea how that was going down. Well, I walked back into the wood shop, into my little, my desk, my, my table that I have, my workbench. And some, I went to work with two guys who were from uh, New Tribes Missions. That was out of Sanford, Florida. And they were sons of people who were New Tribes missionaries, long ones. And they were studying to be missionaries also. And I'm studying to be a preacher, you know. So we had kind of this camaraderie in there. And I walk in and I go sit on my desk and I'm just confused. God, I got 1700 bucks for this. I got this junker. I don't know what I'm going to do. And this one guy, Todd, he's getting ready to go to, up to Minnesota to basically go to his New Tribes missions. And he was going to have to go work while he did this. He walks in and he said, he said, who owns that van out there? And I'm thinking, oh, did the parking brake not work? It rolled into it. He's like, who owns that van there? And I'm like, I'm like, he's going around. Who has it? I've never seen it. And I'm like, well, I, I do. He said, God wants you to sell that to me. And you got to sell it to me right now because I got to get it fixed up and I'm going to use it and take it up to Minnesota, have all my work tools in it, and I'll be able to make a living while I'm going to seminary up there. You got to sell that to me right now and don't try to weasel your way out of this. And I'm thinking like, <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm like, okay. And he's like, and I only have, 
And he says the amount, it couldn't have been 17. It must have been like 900 or 1,000. And I've only got $1,200. Whatever amount he said was the exact amount I needed to get my Volkswagen engine fixed. He's like, and I've only got this, and don't try to rip me off. That's all I got, and I'm buying it right now. And I'm like, whoa, Todd, time out. Cool. <laughs> what an answer to a prayer. And, and I said, but listen, I, I'm sitting there thinking about my wife when I brought it home the night before. I'm thinking about, I said, Todd, you have to really take this and drive it home. And let your wife look at it. <laughs> let your wife ride in it. <laughs> I said, Todd, you, you got to go get your wife's opinion on this. And then if you, you're just trying to rip me off. You're trying to buy time. I'm like, no, Todd, Todd, you want to give me the money right now? I'll take it. And it's yours. It's down, you want to go lick it, lick it. It's a down to pay. It's yours, but I just want your wife to be okay with it. The next day he comes in. He's like, yeah, I got it up on blocks now. I hope you don't mind. I didn't bring it in. You got the title and everything. And it, it was sold. So God gave me a 1966 Ford Econoline van that had been burned out in the Everglades by Southern Bell and then by Linda and her band and Mr. Edwards and his group burned out. I got it, and then another guy took it, fixed it, went up to Minnesota and became New Tribes missionaries through that. That's how God provided. And he gave me enough to get my Volkswagen, which we were happy to continue driving since Linda knew to put her foot down when there were mud piles. So God provides, man. And I can tell you cool stories about every single one of my vehicles that I've had of how God has done it at the last moment in different ways. But the fact is, is God provides. Y'all believe that? He provides. And often He determines his, our, the will for our lives by what He provides. So often we're dissatisfied. I don't have this, so man, but when I get this and this, when in reality, what we have right now is God's will, because he doesn't he promise to provide our needs? Doesn't he promise that? Yeah. And so again, there's nothing wrong with desiring and moving towards things. But if you're not happy in your current situation, you won't be happy in the next one. You got to be grateful when you're, you're grateful. Everything is great. And God determines his will for our lives by what he provides. And I'm going to tell you the greatest thing he has ever provided was himself for our salvation. The greatest thing. And you think about that. That's where we're getting in the book of Romans right now. Today, we're going to look at the last half and the outline simple. You've heard it before that salvation is needed. Man, it's not a big deal to have something provide if you don't need it. But when you when you need it, when you really need it, like I've needed wheels. In fact, one time I needed wheels so bad because my transmission broke off my transfer case and I couldn't afford to drive this Durango anymore. And I gave it back to the dude I was buying it from. And if God didn't provide on Easter sunrise service morning a vehicle, the next day I was riding from Fort Pierce to Jensen Beach on a bicycle. And the speed limit wasn't 25 on the drive. <laughs> and, and at the sunrise service, I had a family come up to me and said, Pastor, before you bought that Durango, man, God told us to give you a whitey. <laughs> it was a big white Yukon XL. Y'all remember my Yukon XL? That, that I drove around until the racks blew off and a couple people got saved on the interstate. Seriously, that's another story. But, but literally, he said, God told us to give and We were disobedient last year and we didn't give it, but we... Do, do you want this? We want you to pray about it. And I said, yes. Well, aren't you going to pray? I said, I have. <laughs> I'm riding a bike to Jensen Beach tomorrow if I don't have, and God has provided. I've just seen him provide. 
but he provides what you need. And man, the greatest need man has is salvation. Salvation is needed. It has been, because we're sinners, it, it, uh, it has been provided by Christ on the cross, we're going to see. And all that's left is you must accept it. Like Mr. Edwards. You know, my wife was kind of thinking when I told her I got the keys and he's bringing me a title. She's like, why did you accept that? I'm like, because God provided that. And it, we had no idea how that will work. And, and again, salvation is, is needed because we're sinners. It's been provided through Christ on the cross, but you got to accept it. He gives you the desire and ability to accept it through faith and grace. And we're going to talk about that. But it's the greatest need we have is salvation. It's worldwide. And so we start with the idea, we're looking at revival through Romans. That's been our title all along. But here's something, the way God kind of had me start this, is that we're not, have you ever heard people say, oh, we're all children of God? Have you ever heard people say that? Literally. If you say it, stop. Because it's not accurate. It's not biblical. It's kind of like one of those that, oh, well, Someone died, so God needed another angel. No, don't say that either. That's not biblical. You don't turn into an angel. You ever, you're, you're either glorified in heaven or you're miserable in hell for the rest of your life. There's the two biblical options. Or, oh, God helps those who help themselves. You got that one? <laughs> That's not in there either. Or, or how about this one? What did Mary ride to, to Bethlehem on? What'd she ride on Bethlehem on? No, we don't know. It doesn't say we assume a donkey, but some of us would downright go to scrapping with somebody over that. Mary rode on a donkey, Dad and Abbott. <laughs> no, we don't know. But what we do know is what we do know, and that's what we've got to believe in. And the fact is, the, the Bible never says we are all children of God. When it does say it in 1 John, it's saying we're all children of God, but it's only that we're all children of God because we've been born again. You don't come into this world as a child of God. <clears throat> in fact, in Romans 6, as we get there, you're going to see you come into this world as an enemy of God. And if by chance, as a baby, as a child, you die without Christ, if God has mercy and allows you into heaven, we believe that it is because of your innocence. And that's in 2 Samuel, I want to say 2 Samuel 12, where David, you remember David, King David, had an affair with Bathsheba? And, he, and she got pregnant, right? And, uh, and they had a baby, and the baby is sick, and the baby's dying, and he's fasting, and he's praying. Oh, my God. Man, God. And, and, and then his servants all looked really sad. because. And Dave said, what's wrong? Did the baby die? And they said, yeah. And they thought he was going ballistic. And he didn't go ballistic. And the reason he didn't go ballistic, they said, what, what was the deal? You were ballistic back when, when the baby was, you know, sick. Now the baby's dead. Why aren't you upset? He said, well, I can't bring the baby back to me, but I can go where the baby is. And that's the passage of Scripture that we use to back up the idea that people before or while they are innocent and they die without Christ, they go to heaven. And I agree with that. But we don't know where that age of accountability and where that innocence is and where it isn't. And you guys aren't there. You know the difference between good and evil. So you need salvation. But all people aren't children of God. God did make them. God does love everyone. We know that. But in fact, emphatically, you are not a child of God 
by physical birth. You become a child of God by spiritual birth. As he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And this is what Paul's trying to drive home to these guys over and over again. So we're not all children of God through physical birth. We become children of God through spiritual birth, right? Salvation is needed. It's been what? Help me out. And must be. So if you ever want to share the gospel with someone, there's your outline. There's your outline. And I don't care what verses you use, but the fact is you need to share with them. Look, salvation's needed. You're you're a sinner and there's a penalty for a sin. Oh no, we're all children of God. Oh no, I made a deal with God. No, no, you're a sinner and there's a penalty. The wage of the sin is death. The gift of God's eternal life. That's in Romans chapter 6. You're a sinner. You need salvation. But the good news is, just like that Ford Econoline van, just like the money to buy the Volkswagen engine, just like the Yukon XL, just like everything else God's provided for me that I needed, he has provided us the very thing we need, which is Christ. Think about that. God himself said, we make man. I can do whatever I want. I want man. I expect perfection out of man. And man, knowing man's not going to be perfect, right? But he made a way for man to be counted as perfect by having the second person of the Trinity come down, live a perfect life, and, and impute it on the people who are imperfect. Only God can come up with a plan to satisfy his righteousness and, and make us perfect when we're not. And, and we'll learn more about that in Romans. So again, salvation's need, it's been provided, but you have to accept it. And you can only accept it if God gives you the desire and ability to. So if you're here today and you're like, I don't know where I'm going when I die. Well, if you were driving around town and you didn't know where you were going, what would you be? Lost. But So if you don't know where you're going when you die, there's a good chance that's kind of where you're at. And, and, and God doesn't want you lost. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to know his desires that you choose him in all of this. So it's been provided, but you've got to accept it. If he gives you the desire, it's like the wind. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know when it's leaving, but you know when it's there. It's like air conditioning. How many of y'all know there's no air conditioning? No, I'm just saying, there, there is. And if you're, I, I saw a bunch of y'all moving all, uh, everybody moved over there to begin with. Y'all got the good seats, because these are the cool seats right here, believe it or not. You know why Karen's back there? She's closest to the air conditioner. Y'all know that? Now nobody's going to sit in this side next week, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, I walked over there the other day. I'm like, whoa, you got air conditioning, because there ain't none right here. It's just summer. That's the way it is. It's our hell simulator. So you'll think about that. No, I'm joking. We didn't do this on purpose. But salvation's need has been provided, and you got to accept it. So if God's giving you the desire and ability to, to believe you need to be saved, dude, that desire is, is there by his design, and it's not going to be there forever. You don't get to choose. If it's gone, you don't have the desire or ability then to accept him. You accept it while it's there. Because he's giving that to you. So first part is salvation is needed. Look at the first few verses here. Well, actually verses 9 through 20 in salvation is needed. And, and this is pretty hard stuff right here. This is, the, this is why you need it. So get this. This is why, and, and maybe you have it. But maybe you need to be able to explain to folks. Somebody that you love dearly who's like, yeah, whatever, we're all children of God. No, look at this. Just these verses, you can see plainly from the word of God that you come into this world lost. You need to be born again. You need to be saved. And this is great 
stuff for you to have. You don't have to preach it. You just let people read it. Read it with them. It's plain to understand. Wait till you see. And I am preaching. Oh, we have ESV. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be a New Living Translation. But that's okay. We'll do it. Nope. Huh? I'll work through this and you can change the next points or whatever. Yeah. So Paul says, what then... Are we, are we Jews any better off? Because the Jews were like, oh, man, you know, blah. I know you had a rough morning, didn't you, JJ? That's all right. I'm glad to have ESV, bro. So thank you for all that. What then? Are we Jews no better? Are, are we any better off? No, not at all. For we already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin. In other words, what he said, uh, when the Jews were like, wait a minute, we're Jews. We don't need to be saved. We don't need all this, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, whether you're Jew, whether you're Greek, whether whatever you are, if you come into this world... I'm good. You have a, thank you, Chris. We, you have a desire to please who? Who is your desire to when you come to this world? To please yourself, right? And if you do anything for God, it's for yourself because you think you're going to benefit in that. And that's the difference between a saved person and a lost person is their motivation. A saved person has a new motivation to bring glory to God, to please God directly in that. So what then? We're not any better. So he said, no, I don't care what nationality you are. I don't, I don't, where are you from? South Africa. I don't care if you're South African. I don't care if you're West St. Lucie Countyan. <laughs> you know, that's a, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Or California or Hawaii or, man, I'm looking at California. Got a lot of Californias here, man. And uh, uh, where? Michigan, right? And Long Island, long time ago, long time ago. Long Island, right? Isn't that where you're from? Right? Phil, uh, where are you from, bro? Philadelphia? P- Pittsburgh? Huh? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, you're an you're, uh, Eagles fan, right? Okay. But he said, it doesn't matter. It does, I was going to say you're a Steelers fan, right? Okay, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, what then? And he said, it doesn't matter. We're all under sin. Well then, thank you, JJ, should we conclude that the Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are all under the power of sin. As Scripture says, and he starts quoting Psalms and some of Isaiah. You can look it all up if you want, but here's what he says. Well, look at the first part. Everybody read this with me, this first part. The Scripture says what? So who's righteous? No one. Not even one? (laughs) I like how he adds that, right? Not even one? Some of y'all are going, not even moi? (laughs) You know? No. No one is righteous. And what does God expect for you to get into heaven? Righteousness. That's his righteousness. Fortunately, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the righteousness God expects is the righteousness he provides. But the fact is, you come into this world and no single person is right. Oh, you don't know my grandma. You didn't know my mama. You didn't know. No, believe it or not, they may have had their moments alone. Didn't let you see none of that. But they were not righteous. They were not. Nobody comes into this world righteous. Not even one except for Christ. All right. Look at the next part. Where are we at, JJ? No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. In other words, you don't come into this world seeking God. If you do seek God, it's not the biblical God, not the true God. You're seeking, in fact, what we learned in Romans 1 is you seek to make your own God. 
You seek to come up with a God. You seek, it's a different God. No one's truly wise seeing life from God's perspective. No one is seeking God. Again, well, I was seeking God. You know what? You justify this with God. Hey, uh, Tom, who, who who does the word of God say is seeking God? No one. So if you think you're the exception of the rule, take that up with God. You're not. Somehow you weren't seeking the biblical God. That's what he's saying. That's why you need to be born again. Your first birth isn't good enough in this. No one. This is not, and this is not only just Paul saying it. Paul's quoting Psalms in Isaiah. He's quoting the Old Testament, which is what they had. So, so there it is, New Testament, Old Testament. No one's seeking God. No one's truly wise. JJ, can I flip the next... Uh, all have turned away, all have become useless for God, because if you're useful for God, you're doing it to bring Him what? Glory. So if you're not trying to bring Him glory, you're trying to eventually bring you some glory or happiness or something in this. No one does good. Wait a minute. How many of y'all know lost people that don't come to church, don't know Christ or whatever, but they do good? Okay, by what definition is your definition of good? Again, take, uh, this is what we used to do with kids, G-O-O-D. If you take, uh, uh, if you take the, uh, anyways, G-O-O-D, take one of them out. God is good, right? God and good together. Take the O's out. Take, take God out of good. All right, there it is. I got it now. Take God, G-O-D, out of G-O-O-D. What do you have? Nothing. There it is. Sorry it took me so long to bring up that childish illustration for you guys, but You take God out of good, there is no good. But the world defines good. People define good. We have definitions of good. But it doesn't matter what your definition of good is. It matters what God's definition of good because He's the final judge. That's why He's saying no one... Yeah, no one does good. Oh, but dude, Madonna donated this much money to this organization and and, 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 and Shaq. And I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm just saying that, dude... God's the one who determines whether something's good, and God says no one does good. Not a single one. Next verse. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. How many of y'all can identify with that? Anyone? Man, how many of y'all know somebody that's that? Right there, dude. Read it again. Their talk is foul, like stench from an open grave. It's scope don't even fix it, right? Dude, you know what I was thinking? How many of y'all are old enough to remember certs? You remember certs? How many of y'all, man, granny or mama did not go nowhere without a pack of certs in their pocket, right? Do y'all remember that? I ain't seen, do they still make certs? I don't think so, dude. I was thinking about that. It was crazy, man. I'm just reliving old memories, but probably because they all smoked, I think, and, 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 and they didn't brush their teeth as much and go to the doctor and had plaque and all that. But anyways... <laughs> It was different. We weren't so dependent upon dentists at that time. But seriously, look at their talk is foul, like stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Can you identify with that? Would you say that's the world? How many of y'all know somebody like that? How many of you ever seen them in the mirror even after you got saved? Snake venom drips from their lips. We're still capable of it when we're not walking in faith in this. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. We're going to get through this here in a minute and get to the good news. They, but the, the better, the, the worse the bad news is, the better the good news is. They rush to commit murder, destruction, and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. How about that one, Chuck? What do you got now, man? 
What do you got from Christ, bro? From following him, amen? Peace, and I heard it again, somebody else in here. Oh, MJ, that's what you were talking about, man. You got 14-hour Amazon days, man. Anybody else having peace there but you? No, no, because you're just having so much peace, you ain't in everybody else's mess, right? Peace comes from him. The world doesn't know where to find peace. That's, that's a problem. That's why you got to take drugs to have peace. You got to have hobbies to give yourself some peace. You got to have addictions to get yourself escaped away from things enough to be able to have some peace. They don't know where to find peace. Where do y'all find peace? Christ. That's where peace is. They have no fear of God at all. In other words, you know what the fear of God is? Yeah, ultimately it's like, (laughs) you know, knowing that there is going to be judgment. Knowing that there is going to be wrath poured out on you. If you have sinned and you have been escaping it, it says in Scripture that He's collecting the wrath. And when this wrath gets poured on you, all the wrath from the sins you've committed, when it's poured on you, nobody stands. But do you have to take the wrath that you have earned? Sean, do you have to take the wrath that you've earned? No. What's, what's your alternative? Give your life to Christ, and, and then his, your wrath has all been poured on Christ. He took all of that from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, if you will, on the cross when it was dark. And he was, Father, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because all the wrath of the sin of past, present, and future sins was poured on him. So you don't have to take it. If you reject that, whose fault is that? Yours. He's given you an option. He said, you need it because you've got a whole bunch of wrath. Every sin you committed, there's wrath that goes, there's punishment that goes with it. Not discipline, but punishment. And you deserve it. But he said, that's why you need a Savior, because if you have him as your Savior, then he takes it all for you. So they have no fear of God at all. Dude, you know what? I'm going to stand before God, Sue. I'm going to stand before God one day. What's he going to do? What's he going to do, man? He, he, you know, he ain't never met Eddie Frederick, man. He ain't never, oh, he ain't never tangled with nobody like me before. Oh, no. I'm shaking my fist out. And you know what? People think they're going to do that. He's almighty God. And out of love, he offered a payment for their sins and to take away the penalty. And and, and rejected it thinking that I'm going to stand in my own righteousness. But you know from the great white throne judgment and revelation, nobody choosing to stand on their own righteousness is going to make it. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to whom, to whom it was given, which is the Jews, but its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. Oh, I didn't know that was wrong. <laughs> I didn't know that was a sin. Well, I didn't know that was a problem. I didn't. Well, yeah, you did. You're born internally with a moral compass that the world has to demagnetize and, and make it all wonky. Like uh, you, you end up with Jack Sparrow compasses. Y'all know what a Jack Sparrow compass is? Everybody thinks that's cool in the movie, right? The, the Pirates of the Caribbean. How many of y'all know about Jack Sparrow's compass, right? I think it's kind of, but, but what does his compass point to? Does it point to the truth or what does it point to? It points to what he, his greatest heart's desire is. 
Exactly. And that's the world's compass. Here's the direction. Oh, this is what I want. This is where I go. Instead, we need a compass of proof points to true north. A compass of proof points to the truth, which is God. Man has that, and the world demagnetizes it and makes your compass all cattywampus and point to whatever you want. But when you get born again, you get a compass that tells you the truth again. You've got that in there, and you get to choose while you're here which one you want to follow. Obviously, law applies to those whom it was given. Its purpose is to keep people from having excuses to show that the entire world is guilty before God. So who's guilty before? Are you guilty before God? Yes, Yes, you were guilty before God. You have Christ now. You're not guilty at this point because we're going to see he took your guilt. But until and if and when, if you don't ever take Christ, you're guilty. Who does he say is guilty before God, y'all? The whole world, not your neighbor that always like mows your yard and does good things for you and bakes you cookies and makes pies and that even that neighbor's guilty. Yeah, the whole world. How much more plain does this can can God make it that we need salvation? You're not going to be good enough. You can't be good enough. The law shows us that the entire world is guilty before God. The law is a mirror, as we've talked before. You look in the mirror and you find something wrong. You find something wrong. But do you fix the wrong thing? Rick, did you see anything wrong in the mirror this morning? Oh, mercy. Was it a full-length mirror, dude? You really want to check it out. Get a full-length mirror. And then you want to do it. Get a magnification full-length mirror, you know? And and, and you find something wrong, right? And we've used this illustration. I don't want you to ever forget it because it's changed my life. Because whenever I find something wrong in Scripture, often I try to fix it. Anybody else try to fix it? I try to do it. I try to fix it. And I always think of that mirror. i got a full-length mirror. Oh, dang. There's a whole bunch wrong here. But can I fix any of it with the mirror? No, the mirror just reveals it. And when you see what's wrong, you're like, oh, God. (laughs) How many of y'all said that looking in the mirror? Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm talking in the real sense. Oh, my God. Fix me. He's the one who fixes you, not the mirror. The mirror is the law that reveals. And he says, so you're without excuse. The world is guilty before God because they see what's in the mirror. You ever go to the fun house and you see the distorted mirrors? You know, man keeps making distorted mirrors, trying to distort him in such a way that he's acceptable, right? Only it makes it worse. (laughs) You need a real mirror, the real truth, which is the law in here. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. (laughs) Ethan, what does that mean? I saw you were yawning. I just had to keep you awake. No, listen, 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 listen. You, You see it up here? No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. What does that mean, Ethan? Yeah, and and who can be made right? By, by their own righteousness, by their own deeds. No, because can you keep the law perfectly? You've already blown it. You blew it by yawning in church. No, I'm messing with you. <laughs> I'm messing with you, man. you got to learn to be an adult and yawn in the inside of your mouth. How many of y'all yawned internally today already, all right? I, I got MJ. She said, yeah, I used to not be able to suffer through Pastor Eddie's messages, but it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that now I can do it. That's good. Y'all better bring the Holy Spirit with you, man. (laughs) 
All right. No one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are, which is what Ethan said. It shows us how sinful we are, but it's not meant to fix it, and it can't fix it. Who's the only one who can fix it, y'all? Christ, yes. So salvation is needed. Y'all agree from them first night, whatever, 10 verses? Y'all agree salvation's needed? Every, who, who needs it, Barb? Everyone, man, every single person needs it. Nobody can escape the need. You're lost without it. You're walking to work the next day and it's too far for you to make it. You're not going to get there. You can't do it. So the good news is once you know that you have a need that there's no way to meet and you realize that, you're broken. You're broken. There's no hope in you fixing it. No hope in you solving it. No, And you're like, well, that's pretty negative. It would be if it wasn't for the next part. The next part is salvation has been provided. What a beautiful thing. How many of y'all need something and waiting for God to provide it? You know, and this is in the temporal sense. We're talking spiritual. We're talking eternity. You need salvation. So salvation is needed. That's clearly been shown in the first verses. Salvation has been provided. Check this out. This is where Paul starts getting into the really good news. But now... God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. So guess what? You can be made right with him and in a different way than doing keeping the Ten Commandments, keeping the law, keeping, you know, doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. In fact, we started off revival in Romans with this thought. God never called us to behave. He called us to believe. Y'all remember that? He didn't call us to behave. He called us to believe. If you behave without believing, your behavior is going to be imperfect. It's going to be insincere, and it's not going to be good enough. He called us to believe. Believe that what he did on the cross pays for your sins, and, and that's all you need, and it's the only solution. And when you believe, that word believe means to believe that he is the right one, and man, that he is now your master. He is your savior. He's your Lord. It's, it's you believing in these chairs. Johnny, did you check that chair out before you sat down in it? You didn't look at it and say, "Woo, here, Carolee, you have this one with the screw loose. I'm taking this one. Did it? No, did any? No, because you don't want to pick up the pieces on that, right? Did any of y'all check your chairs out before you sat down? Some of y'all should have. I'm just saying, oh, Tom, you're in one of those rickety old wood chairs, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, but nobody checked it out, but you're believing in that chair. How much of your weight is in that chair? How much of your trust is in that chair? All of it. How much of your faith is in that chair? How much of your weight is in that chair? All of it. All of it. That's what it means. to. You're believing in that chair the way somebody needs to believe in Christ. That's what it means to believe in Christ. To just believe your way is the right way, dude. Everything about it is you. It's you. I believe. I put my faith and trust, all of it, in you. Not half and half, but it's all there. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law. So enough, he's not going to say, you're going to see at the end, you still keep the requirements of the law. Because again, he called us to believe, not behave. If you believe, will you behave? Yes. If you truly believe in him, you will believe that his way is the right way. And now instead of doing it in your own flesh, you will be doing it because you're following him. 
As you're following Him, you do what He wants you to do. As you follow Him, it all you're doing the right, you're behaving. Don't get it backwards. He said, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Moses and the prophets, that's the entire Old Testament. So he said, this is not something new. They got saved. They had the law. They knew they couldn't keep it. They were supposed to behave by the behaving as best as they could. They were showing God that they believed His way was the right, but they constantly cried out, God, we can't do it. God, we need help. Remember, that's what we were all supposed to be doing. You all look in the mirror, and you look in the mirror, and what do you scream to God? Oh, I got a couple of you there. No, what do you scream to God? Help me out! Help! Yeah, if you're like needing help, and you're just like, help. I'm like, I'm going to wait till you're serious, man. I'm going to wait till you're serious, man. Scream it one more time. I need you all to wake somebody up next to you just for a moment, man. What, you look in the mirror and you see what God expects. You see what you do. And you know you can't pull this off consistently. What do you say to God? Yeah. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Yes, help. That's really crying out to God. But a lot of times we see in the mirror what He requires and perfection. You're like, but I tried and I know I'm going to fail again. And oh God, I'm just such a miserable. How could you? It's like... No, God's like, dude, just ask me for what? Help. But often we're like, okay, God, I'm really trying. I'm trying, but if you can just help me out a little bit, God, I got the rest. Y'all ever done that? <laughs> I got 90%, God, and I just need 10% more. He's like, oh, dude, I ain't even giving you 10%. I'm going to wait till your utter failure until you realize you need 100% my help. You got nothing to add to righteousness. You by faith have to believe this is what He says you can do and you do it believing by faith because your lifestyle is insurmountable evidence against the right thing. You know you're going to fail again in your flesh. You know you're going to mess up. You know, but, but if we would live by faith, I don't have to mess up. I'm going to because I, I got flesh that I keep going back to, but I don't have to. What God says, you ever reach a point in some aspect of your life? I'm not saying there's other aspects where we do. 50-50, God, me and you. Come on, give me 50% help right here. No, God wants you to just say, God, I give up. It's yours. But it's going to take faith to trust that He can actually do that. How many of you have ever given Him totally something and you've watched Him come through? You've watched Him just come through. And if you haven't, I'm challenging you to do it. He doesn't need your help. Hey, have any of y'all ever heard God scream back down? You're like, help! And God said, help! <laughs> that freak you out, Gary, right? <laughs> You're like, God, I need help! And God says, Gary, I need help! <laughs> like, wait a minute. But that's our theology a lot of times. Help! Give up! Through faith, I'm just going to do through faith, whatever it is you're asking me to do, and I'm going to believe that it can be done through faith. Not through mustering it up in my flesh. But that means being obedient to whatever He's asking you to do. And if there's something in your life that you know He's asked you to do, He's asked you to do, or He's asked you to stop, and, 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 and you're not willing to do it, that's as far as you're going, pal. 
Oh, no, no, wait, wait, I'm, I'm going to put this one aside, but I'm going to go do this for God and this for God. And, no, no, no. You're as far as you've gone. When God has brought conviction with something, when He's brought that conviction and you're not willing to surrender that, He's not giving you anything else to surrender. He wants that. And that's as far as you're going to go. Yeah, you can play around in a little cul-de-sac all you want and think you're spiritual and think you're growing with Him, but you're not. He wants that. That's why He made that that. So that when He has that, He's got it all. Because if you don't give Him that, and you give Him all this other stuff, what doesn't He have? That. So does He have you? And what does He want? He wants you. He doesn't want a little smorgasbord of you. He wants that. That's why, that's why He lit it. You know He wants that. That's why He keeps bringing up, I want that. I want that. Okay, God, I get it. I'll get that later. When this, you know, but God, I'm over here doing all of this right here. And, and in the back of your mind, it's like, I want that. And if you're not hearing that conviction anymore, it means your conscience is seared. That's a dangerous place when you can't hear God say He wants that anymore because that was pretty important. Something to think about. Now, God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. This is not something new. They got saved in the Old Testament looking forward to a Messiah, believing the promise and behaving, showing they believe. We get saved knowing that He did send a Messiah, and when we surrender, we get His Holy Spirit that now enables us to be able to do the right thing when we walk in it. We are made right with God by placing our what? Faith. What is faith? What is faith? What is faith? Julia, what's faith? <laughs> okay, trusting, yeah. Trusting. Anybody got it? Yeah, believing in something you can't see. Again, here's a temptation in front of you right here. Here's a temptation in front of you. And there's all the evidence, a mountain of evidence in front of you that says you can't overcome that temptation. You can't do it. Look at your track record. <laughs> and Satan loves to pull up your track record, doesn't he? Uh, does he ever do that to any of y'all? You, you, you can't do that. God says, yeah, you can. I want you to walk through that pile of poo that Satan has thrown up as a mountain in front of you as evidence. Well, the world says we can't do this way. The banks say we can't do it. Nobody, we can't do it this way, God. You just don't know what it's like to live in this world now. And yes, he does. And nothing's really changed. But you, we can't do it this way. We got to do it. He said, no, no. I want you to trust me and do it my way. But God, but God, but God. And it's a big pile of poo. And he wants you to walk through it. Because it's not going to stop you. And maybe God parts the poo. Maybe he just makes you go through the poo. I don't know. But the bottom line is it ain't going to stop you. It's not going to stop you if you have faith. You're going to walk right through it. And you're going to get on the other side. He's going to clean you off. And now you know when the devil throws the next pile of poo, that's all it is. It's not a rock-solid mountain that you can't get through. But it takes faith to believe that that's what God wants you to do and you have the ability to do it. The world wants to tell you, oh, do you remember when they were trying to give kids in high school? I was a youth pastor back in the 90s. You remember when they were trying to give the kids condoms? And I'm like, why are you giving these kids condoms? Oh, so they don't get pregnant. And I'm like, well, why are you giving them condoms? Like, well, because they obviously can't have willpower to stop. I'm like, what do you mean they can't have willpower? Believers can. 
But if you've got the world screaming at you, oh no, you need a condom because you're not strong enough to overcome that. And I could go with a bunch of other illustrations. That one just came to mind. But we can look at every example in the world where they throw evidence against us of why we can't do things God's way. But God says, faith, you can do it my way. You do it my way. And then when you do it, and everybody else is like, well, how did you do that? You didn't do it our way. You have to say, what, Kathy? Praise God. God did it. So God wants us by faith to walk. And the first thing he wants us to walk through is the fact that we can't save ourselves. We can't add anything to our salvation. We can't fix anything. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, period. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter where you came from, what your socioeconomic status, whatever. He said this is true for everyone. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. So when he's talking about salvation in this, we've all sinned. Everybody's done something wrong. And when he says we all fall short of the glory of God's standard, that means that we don't do everything right. Often people think sin is just doing the wrong thing, but it's not doing the right thing. And that's where he clears that up. This is a great verse to share with someone who you're sharing the gospel with, to let them know they need to be saved. Everyone sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God's standard. It's just perfection. We've fallen short. Yet God, in His grace, hey, what is grace? Karen, what is, oh, Karen's still there? She took off. I always pick on her for that, but what is grace, y'all? Unearned favor. It's something you didn't earn. It's something God gave you. And, and, And in Philippians, he said it's the desire and ability to do what He's asking us to do. So He gives you the desire to do what He wants you to do. And with that desire comes the ability. So it says, Yet in His grace, so God at some point, when you felt God pursuing you, Barb, you felt Him pursuing you, He had grace. He was giving you the desire to surrender yourself to Him, right? Did you have that desire before to fully surrender like you are now? Did you have it 20 years ago? No, in fact, somebody trying to do it to you would be like, dude, that's hell on earth. No, I'm not doing that. But he gave you grace. He changed your desire, gave you the desire, and then gave you the ability for it. Now, you had to either accept it or reject it. And praise God, you accepted that grace. And and, and it's cool the things that God has brought through all of that. So in his grace, he freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. Christ paid. God demanded blood for a sin. Adam and Eve. Y'all help me out, Adam and Eve. Boy, it's getting hot in here, isn't it? Y'all, your, your makeup is just like slid all down your face, girl. I'm just saying. No, I'm messing with you. You should have seen when we used to be downstairs and we had people packed in there. I'll try to wrap this up, but this is important stuff right here. He freed us from the penalty, uh, the, the penalty of our sins. Man, God demanded blood when Adam and Eve, hey, Sean, when Adam and Eve, I see y'all, I'm trying to just keep you awake, keep you going right there. Y'all are in the hot seats right there, man. Hot seats. And, uh, but but when, when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing they tried to do? Cover themselves. They made some nice fig leaf bikinis, didn't they? Boy, and they were stylish, a little itchy. That's what I heard fig leaves were. And they were sporting them to God. Well, you think, man, we get it, we sinned, we did, and we covered it up. What did God then do? Yeah, he took an innocent animal, slaughtered it, and I believe while it was still warm and bloody, made them bikinis out of that. 
so that they would understand that there's a penalty for sin. And over and over, Jesus is a Lamb of God. That's why, man, church back in the Old Testament, it, if you were a pastor, you had to be a butcher. <laughs> you, you had to be a butcher, man. You're always slaughtering animals because there had to be shed blood to cover sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And Christ's blood freed us from the penalty. He paid the penalty for us. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice. Remember what John the Baptist said? Hey, there's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And so God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God. All right, here it is. Anybody want to know how to be made right with God? Roger, you want to know how to be made right with God? Check this out. Scripturally. Because you know, maybe the tracks got it wrong. I don't know. Uh, but here it says, you are made right with God when you what? Believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. That's it. You've got to believe, and again, believe isn't believing in your head that says in James, the devils believe and they're going to hell. It means believe the way you are believing in this chair. You put all of your faith and trust in what you know about him. Everything you know about yourself, you surrender to everything you know about him. When you do that at some point in time, you are now made right with God. Hey, Roger, when you're made right with God through that justification, it's like the judge has now said, you're on your record, you are right. But does it mean that you are right, that you never did any of that stuff? No. But the judge, as far as the record is concerned, says you're right. Can anybody change your record with God once it's covered with Christ? No. And you are right for how long? Exactly. That's justification. Sanctification now is a process where he's trying to get us to become more like him. But your record says you are right. Even though you really... How many of y'all know you ain't right? Anybody know you ain't right? Good, I'm glad. Some of y'all... Yeah, yeah, you ain't right. How many of y'all are, are getting right? You know, you're getting right. Through His power, through faith, walking through those piles of evidence of poo that says you can't get right, you're still walking through saying, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it God's way. Boom. With God's, God said, I can do it, boom, I'm going to do it. That's sanctification. Justification is where he took Christ's blood, applied it to you, and you are right in the books. And no one can change that. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. In other words, Old time Testament, when they yelled, help God, and, they, and, and, and he said, I'm sinning a Savior, just keep obeying me. And they had, he sent a Savior, and those who believed he would, he saved them through Christ, the same way as they saved us. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. That's with Christ. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they do what? That's it. Believe. Did it say when they do the right thing? No. Did it say when they do the wrong thing? It says when they what? You believe? You believe? You believe? You believe? So you're what? With God, you're what? You're right. Only when you're doing the right thing? How, are you still right when you're doing the wrong thing? Yeah. Because you're made right with Him. 
But now there's consequences when you do the wrong thing. That's why he doesn't want us doing that. But you're right with him no matter what. Period. That's what this says. Salvation is needed because your sinner has been provided through what Christ did on the cross. And it's, a, it's, a, a, it's not a process. It's an act that happens at some point in time. And there it is. So the next thing is, if you need something and you know where to find it, what do you got to, and it's being offered to you, what do you got to do? You got to take it, man. You got to get it. If you really believe, so if you, if you need it and it's been provided, you've got to accept it. So who are the people that would not accept this? Hey, uh, Sean, let's just say somebody had a death penalty. And they're, they're in prison, they got a death penalty. And the governor comes, or whoever comes, and says, hey, there is a pardon for you. What, what do you think most people on death row would do? Woohoo, Woo accept it, yeah. You guys all earned a death penalty, and you are all on death row. And Christ offered you a pardon. So what kind of prisoner would not take that death penalty who's on death row? A crazy one. Anyone elaborate? Tiny. Somebody is on death row, sentenced to death, and, and somebody offers them a pardon. Who would not take that? Oh, oh, Chris got it. Somebody who didn't really believe there was a death penalty. Somebody who in the back of their mind was still thinking, yeah, I'm on death row, but it's never going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to get off somehow. It's not going to. Somebody who didn't believe they needed it. If you truly believe you need it and it's been provided, what are you going to do, Brad? You're going to take it. But if you don't take it, it's probably because in your pride, you don't really believe this. You don't really think God knows what he's talking about. You don't, you don't, you know, and so someone who doesn't think they need it. So salvation must be accepted. Look at these last few verses and we're out of here. So we are made right with God through what? Faith. Faith is not looking at, okay, well, let's do, let's do a little chart of pros and cons of whether I really believe the Word of God's right or not, or whether I think Christ can save me or not. Let's do a little chart. Let's do a little dichotomy key on whether I should believe Him. Let, 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 let's just have two lists. Let's do an analytical report. <laughs> Cost-benefit analysis for you accountant people. Let's do some kind of report to try to figure out if this is logical, if this makes sense, if this is going to work. Let's do that for salvation. Guess what? You're already lost if that's what you're doing. Because it doesn't go from here to here. It goes from here to here. When God gives you the ability to believe, you believe. And once you put your faith and trust in Him, does He not prove it? Does he not then? How many of y'all have evidence in your head now since you had have, since you've given him your heart? You've now got evidence in your head that he's for real. Yeah. Chuck, what did we say? One of the first services we ever had? What was one of the first things that you ever you ever picked up? You said that you kept repeating a lot that the world says, prove it to me, and then I'll believe. But God says, Yeah, believe in it, and then I'll prove it to you. But it takes faith. In spite of all that logical deductions and conclusions and evidence and computer programs and artificial intelligence and everything that you can put it all through. In spite of that, God just says, yeah, it is going to be so counterintuitive. <laughs> it's never going to make any sense. But if you believe, that's because I've given you faith to believe. Believe and do what I've asked you to do. And watch me work. 
That's what faith is. We're made right with God through faith. You remember uh, in the book of Numbers, they were all calling against God. They were all criticizing. They were blasting them. And God said, okay, you know what? I'll make it worse. I'll send a bunch of serpents here. Sean, you remember that? All them serpents came and started biting people. And what was happening to people when they're getting bit by those poisonous serpents? They were dying. And they're like, help, Moses, help us out. Moses like, hey, God, what do we do? <laughs> the serpents are all around us, snakes. Can you imagine if there were snakes all around? There were rattlesnakes and they were biting. Say, say they took Sue out and, and one of the Taylor twins here. And, uh, and, and, and maybe, you know, over here, a couple of people. And, y'all, and, and the edges were all blocked. You were stuck in here. You know, you'd be going, help, help, right? And, God, and, and I'm like, okay, God, what do we do? And God says, oh, you know what I want you to do? I want you to get a stick, okay? And then I want you to make a statue of a snake. And then I want you to put the statue up. And anyone, Gavin, I know how logical and, you know, you, know, you, know, you are in all of this, how, how lineal you think, brother. And I'm being facetious, all right? Because <laughs> that's right. But Gavin, all you got to do. There's a snake coming to bite you right now, and all you have to do is look at that snake. How many of y'all think looking at that snake is going to stop that snake from biting you? How many of y'all think, dude, there's got to be a better answer? <laughs> I bet a lot of Israelites thought there was a better answer. But he said, you got to look, and if you look at that snake, you won't get bit, and if you get bit, you won't die. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, because who said it? God. What if I said it? <laughs> I, I said, okay, if you twirl around like this and do five jumping jacks, the snake will leave you alone. <laughs> Don't have faith in me, please. <laughs> but, but God said, look at the snake and you won't die. What a crazy thought. How many of y'all think that's crazy? How many of you think herpetologists would recommend that? anybody, survival guides, you read that in any of your survival guides? You come across a rattlesnake? Oh, make a statue. No, no, it was a thing from God, and God said, yes, this looks ridiculous on your, in your world where you live, but I can do anything. All I want you to do is look at it. You look at it, you will be saved. And that's exactly was a picture of what Christ would be on the cross. You look at what Christ did on the cross, and you are saved. Why are you saved? Because it was a logical, good idea? Does it make sense to you? No, you're saved because that's what God said was supposed to happen. God said do it, and that's what we do. We walk through that insurmountable evidence of, of, of the world's negativity or whatever, but we walk with faith and do what God said to do. We believe in Christ. We're saved by faith. He gives us grace, which is desire to do it, and then we exercise that grace by by having faith, and that faith is what saves us. So we're not made right, we're made right with God through faith and not obeying the law, because you're going to mess up that anyways. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by And if he says only, is there any other way? No, this is simple. This is the Word of God. We're not all children of God until you're made right by faith. Whether you're Jew, Gentile, New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan, you know, I don't know where y'all all came from, man. He said, but I'm just saying, you all get saved the same way. It's the same gospel. Look at this. They say, well, then, if we emphasize faith, 
Does this mean that we can forget about the law? Paul says, of course not. In fact, only when you have faith do you truly fulfill the law. So he didn't ask us to behave, he asked us to believe. And it's only when you believe that you can actually really behave. If you try to behave without really believing, you're not going to behave. And it's going to be prideful, it's actually going to be sin. (laughs) But it's only when you believe, and he says, hey, I want you to do this. Hey, I want you to do this. And you do it. And it's like, cool, that's obedience. And he makes it happen the way he wants it to happen. Now, when you believe through faith, you actually do do the right thing. Prior to that, you're trying to do the right thing, but in a prideful way. And that makes it sin. So, salvation's needed. How many of y'all believe salvation's needed? Anybody? How many of y'all believe it's been provided? And who's it been provided from? by? Christ. But you've got to accept it. We're not all children of God through our physical birth. We've become children of God through our spiritual birth. Salvation's needed because we're sinners. Salvation's been provided by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and it must be accepted by grace through faith. And it's the same way we live in Him, is by faith. We don't live by sight. We don't live by feelings. We don't live by emotions. We don't live by our thoughts. We live by faith. What do you want me to do, God? And I'm going to do it. Whether And it's so often, it's not going to make sense. But it will afterwards. Live by faith. Let's pray. Father, thanks for air conditioning. <laughs> I think of Mr. Carrier who invented air conditioning. And uh, we're grateful for that, especially when we don't experience it. <laughs> We're grateful for heat. We're grateful for you choosing everything, including the weather. We're grateful for you bringing us here. We're grateful, Father, for your word. And Father, there's so many things that even we looked at today that go against what what we'd like to think, what we feel, what what this world wants to to do, Father, the the way we think. Father, um, I pray that our thoughts and our emotions and our desires would all be subjected to you and your word. Father, there is no doubt that your word says that salvation is needed for everyone. And that's why you left us here. Father, if someone's still here and they're not saved, it's so that they can get saved because once you die, it's too late. But Father, you've left us here who know we're saved so that we can share this simple message with others that salvation's needed. It's been provided, and they just have to accept it. And if they have the desire to do it, it's because you've given it to them. So, Father, I pray that we would take this, and your Holy Spirit would use it in the way that um, you want it to be used. And help us give and have an opportunity to share that it's needed, been provided, and must be accepted with someone today. That's the only reason you left us here, is so that we could live it, and we could share it with others. I pray that you'd motivate us empower us to do that. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.